please stand for the reading of the Word of God. Our scripture for today is John 2, 13 through 25. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, BJ. Um, hey, for those online who are joining us, we're, we, uh, there's no internet service in the building today, and so we're using a phone, and several of us thought the other person was starting it, so sorry that it started like five minutes ago, uh, but I hope that you were able to find it. Um, man, it's a, BJ, thank you so much, man, for proclaiming that word. Uh, we're, we're in John chapter two this week. Again, if you don't have a scripture journal, which is basically just the book of John with every other page blank so that you can take notes on it, we've got a stack of two different uh, kind of models that you can choose there. And if you want to grab three of them because you want to take a family member or a coworker through the study, we'd love for you to, to do that too. Feel free. And then we have Bibles on the table. We'll have scripture on the screen, but we'll, if you don't have a Bible or you just forgot yours, please grab one of those as well. Um, man, several months ago, I was having a conversation with a guy in our living room as Patty and I and a couple, and the, the guy had been a part of our church for a while, and he was considering giving his life to Jesus. And he was, he was really at that point of, okay, I've, I've heard a lot about this. I've heard a lot about what Jesus has done for me. And, then, and I'm, I'm feeling like going all in and giving my life to him. But he asked a question kind of to us in the room, and the question was like, at what moment did I know that it was the moment to give my life to Jesus? Like, that was the question. Like, when did you know this is the moment? And uh, for, for me, as, as we entered into this conversation, 
um, which is an incredible conversation to have. I mean, there are a lot of conversations you can have in life. This is an incredible conversation to have. And I, uh, I thought about a high school principal. And that wasn't where maybe you would have thought I was going, but I thought of a principal. And what I thought was how that's kind of the relationship that I felt like I had with God was kind of, I had a relationship with like a principal. And what I would do is I was feeling the conviction of my sin. And so I, I was desiring to be right with God. So it would be like, in prayer or just in kind of talking and thinking about him, it'd be like I went into the principal's office and I'd say, I've got a deal to make with you. Here's my deal. I'm gonna try really hard to not do anything wrong. And then if I can stop doing bad things, are we good? Will you be good with me? Will we be cool? And I felt like, like he would think about it and be like, yeah, yeah, that's good. I walk out, be like, yes. A week later, walk back in. Okay, hey, hey, hey. So I wasn't able to uphold my side of the deal. So I've got a new deal to make with you. Um, I'm gonna try harder this time. And this time I'm like really serious. And so like, would you be okay with me if I try harder and I can figure out how to stop sinning? And he was like, yeah, sure, sure, I'll do that. Okay, good. Uh, knock, knock, knock. Hey, it's me again. Um, gosh, I couldn't uphold my side of the deal. And um, so I've got a new bargain and so my bargain this time is like, I'm really serious. And you know, like I know sometimes I'm back here in a week, sometimes I'm back here in an hour, sometimes I'm back here in a month, but like this time I'm like, I'm, I'm really serious, I'm gonna really stop sinning, and would you take me on those terms? And I feel like he was like, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> yes, okay, I'll, okay. You know, and then knock, knock, knock. Oh gosh, I mean, woo! Uh, I, I just couldn't uphold my side of the deal. Here's my excuse, here's what happened. And, um, and then in this part of the conversation, and I went on actually longer than I have right now, like you might already be annoyed with me by the back and forth, but I told the person in the living room, I said, it probably sounds crazy to you, and I was like, I could keep doing this all day. And I could keep this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And uh, I'm not trying to be weird here. I'm just letting you in on me. <laughs> so welcome to the weird of my approach with God. But I was like, you know, this is how I was back and forth. And he's like, oh, no, man, no. He's like, I get it. I get you. I get what you're saying. Keep talking. I'm following you. Um, and he was sharing with me, like, that was the way that he's been living, is, is keep coming back to God with this new deal, this new deal, this new deal. And after he just interrupted me again and said, yes, I'm tracking with you, then I said, but then, then there was this day. This day finally came where I knocked on the door and I came in and I said, I've got nothing. I've got no deal to make with you. I, I can't think of any deal to make with you because I can't keep it. 
I can't keep my end of the bargain. I have no deal to make with you. I would like to be in relationship with you. What do I need to do? I am giving you the ball. I am wanting to hear from you, what must I do to be saved? And then it was at that point that he said, hey, can I tell you about my son? Can I tell you what he has done? And can I tell you how he can keep his end of the deal? Can I tell you about that? And I felt like I finally had ears to hear. I finally had eyes to see. And that turned everything for me. And with conversation with my friend, I said that was the point. It was the point that I stopped trying to make a deal with him as if this was a 50-50. And I came in with zero and asked him for 100% of whatever he could give me if he would give it to me. And the truth that we are talking about this morning is powerful It's powerful, I feel like, for those who are coming to Jesus because he's pursuing you. And I feel like it's powerful for those who walked in today with a relationship with Jesus because he's pursuing you too. Uh, We're at verse 13 of John chapter two to see the heart of that conversation, I feel like, is just going to be on full display today through this text. Look at John 2, verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. So there's a ton in this these two verses. Jesus had previously been at the wedding. If you remember that last, last week, turning water into wine, Jesus previously had been at the wedding far up north in Galilee. Sea of Galilee is up there, far north part of the country. He's traveled now without a, trans, without a vehicle, you know, either on donkey or on foot. He's traveled more than 100 miles to come from Galilee down to Jerusalem during this time in history. And during this time in history, there were three times, three times in the course of a calendar year that it was expected for every person to go to Jerusalem. Imagine that. Imagine planning your vacations, planning your, your work schedules, planning thing, everything around. Three times out of a year, we would all go to Jerusalem. And the first was the Feast of Passover, the other was the, the Feast of Pentecost, and the third is the Feast of Booths. So you see, I mean, you're feasting every time, which is kind of like what we do with Christmas and, and uh, even the 4th of July, right? It's like we, that's all tied to feasting and to coming together. And so they had three feasts where they would come together, and uh, the Feast of Booths was celebrated, and it was kind of focused on how caring and good God had been to his people when he led them to the promised land and didn't just lead them there to die, but led them there to flourish. And it's like how grateful we'd be in rural central Iowa at harvest time. So this feast was around harvest time to just be like, man, look what the Lord provided for us uh, together in this place. And then the second, the feast of Pentecost, 
It was given for the first harvest of the year. So where like late in the fall would be kind of like one of the final harvests, uh, the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost was the, the first harvest of wheat. So, you know, there'd be several, as there is here, several harvests of wheat, and it was the first harvest would be it. And it became also a celebration of the law given to them as being a first fruit of God's goodness to them. And then the third time, which is the time we're focusing on today, that brings Jesus to Jerusalem. The third time everyone's supposed to go to Jerusalem was for Passover, now, check this out, because when, when God does one thing, he's usually doing a thousand things. When he says one thing, he's usually saying 20 things as well. Not that are contradictory, but there's always more facets to the diamond. So the Feast of Passover celebrated the night in Egypt when God's people, who had been slaves for hundreds of years, on this night of Passover, if you took, if you took blood of a lamb and you put that blood over the doorframe of your house, when death came through the community that night, which is going to be a sign to Pharaoh to let my people go. So the first of every family, first, the oldest um, in each family would, uh, would die that night unless the blood of the lamb was over their house. Then death would pass over them. So what's crazy here is that the feast of Passover is what brings Jesus to the temple in this year. So think of it too, that the city is busting at the seams and Jesus then doesn't just go to Jerusalem, but he goes to the temple. See it in verse 14. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. So the temple was this incredible structure, incredible large facility, several football fields in width. And then in the center of it was the temple. And the temple is gigantic. I mean, if we're all standing there, we'd be looking at like this to, to see the temple. And, but the temple, is, the temple grounds is where you would go to have your sins atoned for. So if you're feeling the burden of your sin, you would, you would go towards the temple, towards inside the Holy of Holies of the temple, the presence of the Lord being there. So God's presence is, he's present everywhere. There's nowhere you can go away from the presence of God. And in a very special way, his kindness allowed us to say his presence is there and we can draw near to him to have forgiveness of sins. Now, only the priest, though, could go inside. And like John the Baptist's dad was able once, he was chosen once in a lifetime. So someone from his family as a priest was chosen once from a lifetime to actually go into not just the temple, but go deep inside the temple. And what was very interesting here was that even though only priests had access to certain parts of the temple, there was a way that everyone could go to the temple and have their sins atoned for so why is there oxen, sheep, and pigeons there? Well, because what the law had allowed for is that um, people would, would buy a lamb, and then in the death of that lamb, it was like my sins have been tied up into that lamb, and in the death of that lamb, my sins have been paid for. Well, a lot of people couldn't afford a lamb. It was too costly. 
Interestingly, if you read closely, Mary and Joseph couldn't afford a lamb. They were too poor. And so if you're too poor to afford a lamb, uh, you, could, you could have the same forgiveness through purchasing of a pigeon. You know, I mean, think of like those are plentiful, easier to come by, a lot cheaper. And so, so God was gracious to not exclude anyone from coming to him. So people who were even really poor could still have atonement through purchasing this low-cost pigeon instead of a more expensive lamb. But then this like, sets the scene of what's going to happen. Look at verse 14. And the money changers were sitting there. The money changers were sitting there. So what is happening? What is happening is if you're Jason Silo and you've just had some, a beautiful lamb that was born and the lamb is perfect, you would take that lamb to the temple and say, hey, I'm, I, I'm, I have a bunch of lambs and I have many for sale that, um, that people can use for uh, atonement. And the temple would say, oh, yes, great. We are actually purchasing lambs today. Uh, uh, there's a, a couple details you need to know, to know about. Um, we don't use regular currency. We only use temple money. So, so we would love to pay you for your lamb using the temple money, but there are also transaction fees. So, um, so I know that like, we would easily give you $100, but because of the transaction fees and because of the markets today, uh, the temple money is very, the exchange rates are just not lining up, so I can give you 50 bucks. So, so they would fleece the people selling the pigeons, the sheep, the oxen. They would fleece them, but then as, as people come to the temple and they're like, okay, um, you know, we've come, uh, we feel the burden of our sin, we're wanting to get right with God, what should we do? And it's like, well, um, do you have temple money? Well, well, no, I mean, we have, we just, we have money from the town, you know? It's like, okay, yes, I mean, of course, we have plenty of options of pigeons and, and, and sheep, and, but uh, you have to have temple money, and, and so go to the money changer, and they will, uh, they will work out the current exchange rates for today, and there are transaction fees. So you would go to purchase a pigeon, and you would be robbed by people on, with the money tables who are basically fleecing you both ways as you're trying to get to God, you're having to do all of this money changing and all that stuff. So this might annoy you. And if you are a person who either has means or doesn't have means, walking up to meet with God, you're first having to go through all these tables to make sure that you're able to wheel and deal and everything enough to actually get to where you're wanting to meet with God. So this might annoy you. It might even frustrate you. Those who are like big justice people might, might be like, man, that's not right. But it made Jesus furious. Like, I'm not even gonna be a civilized person anymore furious. Look at verse 15. Making a whip of cords. So he's not sending a message. Not, Can I talk to the manager? He makes a whip of cords and he drives them all out of the temple. This is a massive complex. You don't do this in five minutes. He drives them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. So not only are you having the noises of the people and the noises of probably Jesus yelling at them and Jesus going for 
for the area to be cleansed. So he is making this whip. He's driving them out, but he's also driving out sheep and oxen. And I see pigeons flying probably out and stuff. Then he poured out the coins of the money changers. I just imagine kids like running and grabbing them and running away or something, you know, as he is just like done with this. He pours out the coins of the money changers. He overturns their tables. He cleans house. I picture him breathing hard. I picture Jesus sweating. I picture him yelling, get out. And interestingly, it doesn't seem like he gets much resistance. Now, maybe that's because people just sensed his authority. Maybe people sensed his power. Maybe people were just stunned He pours out the valuable coins of the money changers. Then look at verse 16. He told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. So there's a good chance in verse 16 that he's just speaking to everybody. But it's fascinating though, and it's, man, every word of scripture has been handcrafted by God. And so even things that seem just a side point, I think are, are worth us recognizing. It's look who he's speaking to. He's speaking to those who sold the pigeons. Now, were there a group of people who sold pigeons, sheep, oxen? But I love that he's talking to those who are fleecing those who have the least amount of money. Like, if those people are taking advantage of those who are selling the pigeons, um, is who he is talking to right here. Jesus is furiously, furiously passionate for anything that would separate him from anyone. If there are any things set up to, to block people's way from getting to God, he's not okay with that. He is furiously against that. He says, do not make my father's house a house of trade. There's no trading here. No one is trading here. There's, we aren't in the business of deal making. If you think that I am one that we are making a deal with, you, you don't understand what's happening here. And he knows that the core of this is injustice. The reason he is standing on planet earth is for there to be a new age. The reason he's standing on planet Earth is so all people can easily get to God. And one of the first things he does in the book of John is he he sees barriers for people to get to God and he just goes on beast mode to get rid of any barrier that will stop people from getting to me. His disciples later realized, verse 17, his disciples remembered that it was written in the book of Psalms, zeal for your house will consume me. They're like, oh gosh, I just thought, you know, they're probably like sitting around a fire or something and and Peter's like, oh my gosh, I was just reading in Psalms. That was like Jesus that one day when we were in the temple. He was so full of passion for people to have access to God that it consumed him. He didn't care what was going to happen and uh, that that brought him to be utterly consumed by zeal on that day. All that keeps people from God is being driven away. 
the people's response, the religious leaders, verse 18. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Man, like, what gives you the right? What, what sign are you going to show us? Because remember, uh, last week it was the first of his signs Jesus did in Cana. So we're seeing that when he does miraculous things, he's not just showing off. He's, he's putting up these well-lit billboards as a sign to say, come here. This is me. This is real. So they're saying, what sign are you going to show us for doing these things? Verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. Will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. And Paul shares this later, that the resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate sign. So I love here that Jesus, I mean, he's speaking in a way that no one around him really gets what he's saying, but they will get what he's saying. His disciples later are like, oh my gosh, he was so far, like he was so ahead of us. He was saying things that we kind of got, but now we really get. And how amazing he is to even be predicting his death, burial, predicting his resurrection and saying, hey, if you want proof that I can do what I just did, you're gonna see me do things that will prove that I'm exactly who I, who I say I am. And the resurrection will be the sign that the world needs that says, man, he has every right to, um, to tell us how to get with him. The ultimate sign of full access open to God. And uh, the disciples believe as they recognize that he called this in advance. The disciples are blown away as they remember his overturning the tables. They remember his zeal. And then the disciples later, I'm sure, are like blown away after the resurrection that he pointed to the power of his resurrection. And in some ways, too, he's saying, death is going to be the last table that I flip over blocking the way between me and people. If you want to see me having right to overturn tables, I will, I will overturn death and you will see the life that that opens up to, to, uh, to us. The deal he is making with us is a deal that he makes and it's a deal that he keeps. Look at verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. When he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, this is taking place over several days, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So it seems that he's doing other signs here during this time that are not recorded in Scripture, and many people are believing in him through this. Um, and then verses 24 and 25 are, very, are fascinating statements that he makes. Jesus is inviting people to him, but he is not entrusting himself to them. This isn't why he's here. 
He isn't saying like, well, I'm God, now I'm gonna come like 50% of the way, and then you're a person, so like I need to learn from you what that's like, and then you can kind of come to me and we'll like make a deal in the middle. No, he is fully God to be able to fix what needs to be fixed. And he is fully man to fully know us, to truly fully understand us. He knows all people. He knows what's in man. He's not looking to strike a deal. He isn't coming halfway, trusting us to come the other halfway. He's not looking to trade. He's only looking to save. And the way he words this here, it reminds me so much of how God interacted thousands of years before with Abraham, where he makes a covenant with Abraham, and he says, hey, just so you know, as you and I make a covenant, covenant with each other, I'm going to keep it. And man, it could seem like a huge hit to Abraham, like, uh, oh man, I thought uh, you trusted me. He's like, hey, I know what's in you, man, and I love you and I am going to keep the entire covenant. So you don't have to like come halfway, you don't have to bargain with me, you don't have to perform for me, just know I'm keeping this covenant. And what struck me so much this week is Jesus full of zeal, driving away anything that's keeping people from him. Like, you know, I think sometimes we come into church saying like, hey, I'm in a, I'm gonna come to Jesus. Like he's kind of like sitting on his throne and I'm gonna come to him. And then when I, when I leave, you know, like, hey, I'll be back next week, you know. And we don't think of Jesus like being the one that's pursuing us, being the one that's on the move towards us. Like what if each of us in this room could see anything and everything that has ever and will ever threaten our relationship with God? Like, that might be terrifying, but just picture this room is empty. It's just you in the doorway and Jesus over here and everything that could ever potentially get in the way and block your relationship with him is like laid out on a table. And I think like we might think, oh man, he'd come in, throw up and leave. No, like he would start flipping over the tables. He would, zeal would consume him. He'd be after us, for us, not in a shame, we're gonna hide way, in a freeing, like, whoa, you, you know that, you're not leaving, you're moving towards me. Getting rid of any barrier that could ever stand between us. I mean, for some, it might be like a history of chronic addiction. History of chronic addiction in so many different ways. And for Jesus to, like his MO is he just starts overturning tables in his pursuit of us. Others, it could be abuse that leads to shame. That shame makes us feel like no one would ever want me. No one would ever love me, especially God. And to see him just turn over the tables. Others, it might be just wrong ways that we viewed God. I've been wrong how I've seen you. I thought we were in this deal-making thing. He's like, yeah, I'm overturning that table because I'm after you. Anything that stands between us. He's after our salvation. He's after our victory. His victory being ours. He's after our purity. He's after our sanity. 
He's after our joy. He's on the move, turning over tables in each of our lives so that we could be rescued and placed in right relationship with the Father. Um, so I, just a few questions for us just to be like, Lord, like show me, show me what's real here. One is just, are you trying to trade with God? Like sometimes that can feel easier or something. Like, man, just show me the five things that I can like check off a, a box and then, um, and then you know, you'll be pleased with me. And it's like, like I, I don't treat my relationship with Patty that way. Like, hey, just tell me the six things I can do. And when I complete those six things, you'll love me. She'd be like, uh, okay, this feels really weird. You know, <laughs> this doesn't feel like real love. Like, are we trying to, to make a deal with him? Are we trying to trade with him when he actually wants a relationship and to navigate all those things with him being our Lord? Second, are there any tables you want him to flip over? Like, God, I've, I've tried to budge that table. I've tried to, I've tried to deal with that table. And um, man, like, I just, I have no victory here. There's nowhere in my life that like, and it might be like, Lord, I'm not sure what this guy's talking about, <laughs> but is there, are there things that you, are there things that are keeping me from you that you want to remove? Because it could be he gives you that desire. Oh gosh, I didn't know it was my pride. I didn't know that my pride like kept being in the way and I'm trying to build my kingdom while you're trying to build your kingdom through me. And man, and then this is not like feel guilty church. This is not shame church. We call this sacred mission church, believing that Jesus is on a sacred mission to, for us, to make us look like him, to free us, to give us deep joy. And what I love is as the disciples see what Jesus is doing, it says they believe. Now, what's interesting is they said they believed before this, and then it said earlier in John 1 that they believed. And it's like, man, how many times are these guys going to believe? <laughs> like, don't we just believe once? And what I, what I love here is that they're like believing more. They're growing in their view of Jesus. They're growing in their walk with Jesus. And it's like, man, I knew Jesus was like saving me from my sin. I had no idea that he was after everything in my life to, to grow me in such an incredible way. Um, and so would each of us believe in him today in the ways that they're growing in their belief? Would each of us walk out of here different in a way that we just realize how much he's pursuing us, how much he's wanting to use us how much he is changing us, transforming us from water to wine, and how radical of a transition that is. That's what he's wanting to do in our lives to make us into his people. Would we not make this place be his father's house being a place of trade? Would we make it a place where we walk in and in fresh ways today, we say, Lord, turn over any tables. I'm not trying to make a deal with you. You're my Lord. Do what you want empower my life. You're in charge now. You're keeping your promises. You're building your church and build me however you like. Can I pray that he would do that? Lord, I, uh, I just thank you that you saw fit in John that just 
we just get hit by such deep and powerful and unbelievable treasures of what you're doing in us, what you're wanting to do through us. And Lord, even now in chapter two, there's just so much. And Lord, I thank you that, that you, um, you just come out of the gate fully going for us. And Lord, we don't want to waste these moments. Lord, whatever picturing you not holding anything back and trying to flip over anything that stands between a relationship uh, with, between us and you, Lord, I just ask that, that you would just flip those over. Like even if people in this room now just start, start feeling free, start feeling a peace they maybe haven't felt in years, maybe lay down any idea of performing for you it matters how we live, but by being people set free, not people who are trying to work out some deal with you. So Lord, would you, would you just do surgery on our hearts, do surgery on our minds? Would we not go away from you to try and get right and then come back? But Lord, would we all come to you and say, Lord, I'm not trying to make a deal with you, just have your way in me however you want. And Lord, would we do that as a community? Would we lock arms together? Would you form a sisterhood here? Would you form a brotherhood here, a band of brothers, Lord, where, where we have locked arms and we are praying for each other, we're, we're proclaiming scripture to each other, and we're just walking with you together. Lord, would you form that in us for your glory, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, just as prayed, like the invitation is to come to him, not to go away, then try and come back to him all put together, but to say like, Lord, whatever you want to do, whatever you're doing to form us, to look like you, um, we need you. We need your power. We need you to be our head of our church as, as we walk in you. And so communion is his idea saying, do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. And so we have a cup within a cup. And so just grab one cup and then you separate them. And then we have bread and then wine or juice. Obey your conscience there. And uh, warnings in scripture are for people who are followers of Jesus. Don't rush to the table. This is a great opportunity just again to just individually, we come together as a community, but we individually come to him. And... Uh, in scripture, we're told like, hey, just look to him to, to maybe bring up areas that you need to repent, areas to change. You know, maybe he'll, he'll bring up areas that he's wanting to remove from our lives for closer intimacy with him. And uh, so before you come to the table, that might be an appropriate time to, to interact with him around that. And then come joyfully, boldly to the table and um, the way that we'll do it is take the elements, just hold on to them, we'll remain standing, and then we'll take it as family together. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I would just say, man, that's the first table that he's wanting to overthrow is, uh, is to take your sin and to give you his life that was lived in, in your place. Uh, his blood paid for your sin. 
we're moved as far as the east is from the west. And so I would encourage you in that time as, as those who are followers of Jesus are looking to him uh, for, for his words in these moments, um, use that time to give your life to him, to say, I'm yours, Jesus. I give my life to you. Um, I'm, I'm not trying to make a deal with you. I'm receiving all that you've done for me. And, uh, and we'd love to talk more about that as well and, and give you more details of, of what he shared with us, what that looks like. Uh, but let's come, let's come to the table.